Grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to John chapter number 11. Give me all the volume you can this morning. John chapter number 11. How many of y'all have ever seen Smokey and the Bandit? <coughs> if you ain't, you communist. Say amen right there. Uh, he said we got a long way to go. And uh, that's right. That's what we got this morning. Amen. We got a lot of material to cover today, and we got a short time to get there. But I want to—I want to get through it. As, uh, hopefully, I can get through the whole thing uh, because this is this is probably going to help a lot of people. And I'm just going to tell you—I'm going to tell you right now. Some of you going to be mad, and there's some people that needs to hear this is not here today. And so I'm going to be preaching to the choir, and I hope they're going to listen by live stream or at least watch it on the internet uh, because we need to get the truth of today. Uh, we're going to preach this morning on the subject, expectations. Expectations. More specifically, unrealistic expectations. How many of y'all know this, that one of the chief sources of discouragement, depression, and disappointment in life is unmet expectations? Go ahead and say amen right there. Unmet expectations. And the reason that many of our expectations are unmet it's because they are unreasonable and unrealistic. And so I want to talk about that today, and, and let us get some help for that today. And I believe God has got a word for us. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. John chapter number 11, in verse number 1. Uh, the first three points were really a, a souped-up long intro, and the message is in point four, all right? So let's get through the, the information, and then we'll, we'll tell, tell us what to do about it, all right? John 11... In verse number 1, thank you, sir, thank you, sir. Uh, it says, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So he sends the messenger back telling the sisters, this is not unto death. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now isn't it amazing that he puts verse 5 there because of he's fixing to put verse 6 here? In other words, he said, now before I tell you what I'm fixing to tell you, because what I'm fixing to tell you is not going to make no sense, but you need to understand before I tell you in verse 6 what verse 5 says. He says, now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. But what did he do? When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, when he had heard that he was sick, now most people would take that as, hey, this is serious. That we need to do something. Let's get on the ball. Let's get there. Let's do something about this. But what did he do? He abode two days still in the same place where he was. He delayed. And after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Jerusalem or Judea again. His disciples said to him, Master, the Jews have late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no night in him, or no light in him. What Jesus is saying is, while, while I'm doing God's will, the devil's gunpowder can't burn. That's what he's saying. He said, Everything's going to be all right. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Now, now he's talking about death, but the disciples didn't get it. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he should do well. In other words, we don't need to bother him. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is he's dead. Now, this is, this is really not going to make sense. And I am glad for your sake. That I was not there. I'm glad that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. I want you to skip down to verse 18. Verse, well, let's go back to 17. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh to Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, now everybody read this with me, Lord, 
If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Let's say it again. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Father, thank you, Lord, for the privilege of, of preaching, the privilege of learning and studying. God, I pray that you help us with this. This is a serious topic. Lord, this is something we're struggling with today. God, I pray that you'll help us. Give us what we stand in need of. And Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated here this morning. Here we find Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who are dear friends of the Lord. The Lord has spent many times in their house, spent many times with their hospitality. Uh, probably taking care of them, probably maybe have stayed the night at their house. Some, some scholars, some, some Bible theologians believe that they were, they were wealthy or a well-to-do family, and uh, because of that they had the ability to minister to Jesus and the disciples, and either way there was a closeness that was here in this family. There was a closeness between the Lord and this family. This family realizes that something bad is wrong. This sickness is, is bad. This is not just a flu. This is not just a cold. This is not just a sniffles. This is a bad situation. And somebody better go get Jesus. Somebody better tell the Lord. Somebody better go get the one who turned water into wine. We better go inform the one who touched blinded eyes that they could see and lame legs that they could walk. Somebody needs to go tell Jesus. And they had every intention and said, listen, go send a messenger to Jesus. And this is what they said. They didn't just say Lazarus is sick. They said the one you love. They're appealing to Jesus. They're appealing to his affection. There's a, they're, they're appealing to their relationship with him and said, do something about this. And they had every expectation, every expectation that Jesus would either say the word because they had seen him say the word, and the person didn't even have to be there in person, and they were still healed. All he had to do was say the word from a long distance. He didn't even have to be there. Jesus is going to take care of this. Hey, everything's good, everybody. We sent for Jesus. Jesus knows what to do. Everything's going to be all right. And guess what? A messenger came back and said, this is not unto death, but he died. Listen, they had every expectation that Jesus was going to come and fix the problem. Jesus was going to come and heal their brother. Jesus was going to come and answer their prayer. And here he died. Here Jesus delayed. Here Jesus waited. He didn't come when we asked him to. He didn't come when we requested him to. We even told him it was Lazarus. This is not just anybody. This is your friend. This is a close person to your ministry, and you didn't come. How many times have you been discouraged in disappointment because of unmet expectations? I thought my life was going to turn out this way, and it turned out that way. I, I thought this relationship was going to be this way, and it ended up that. I thought my kid was going to be this, and, and this is what it ended up being. And, and here we find life just goes crazy on us. How many of y'all realize that life will turn on a dime? And we find ourselves in the midst of darkness. We find ourselves in the midst of despair because of unmet expectations and unrealistic expectations. I want to do this. I want to go through some recipients. Who gets the brunt? Who gets the brunt of unrealistic expectations? And then uh, the main one is the Lord, and that's the one we're going to talk about, and we're going to get to the end. Uh, there's so many times we have unrealistic expectations with God. God's, God's way and our way doesn't always line up. Let me say that it rarely lines up. Are y'all with me? God's ways are so much higher than ours. God's thoughts are so much higher than ours. We, we, some of, we just don't get that. And so that's going to be the main, uh, 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 the main part of the message. But let's look at some other areas where we have unmet or unrealistic expectations. How many times... How many times, this is point number one, the recipient, the recipient of unrealistic expectations. The first I put on my list is we have unrealistic expectations when it comes to our children. Our children. I don't know if you've understood this or not, but sports has gone stupid. People are losing their minds when it comes to sports. Listen, there was a day when Little League was just a weekend thing, man. 
It was just one or two games a week and hey, go do it, it's over with, it's done till next year. But we are running our kids in the ground. Here's a, here's a, I, I told you, I, now I warned you right ahead, I'm going to make some of you mad, so just, just like it, amen, just deal with it. This is coming from a coach. This is coming from a long years and years and years coach. This is what he said. Another summer, another year of watching parents put unrealistic expectations on their children. Here are the facts. Most kids won't play sports in high school. Almost every kid won't play sports in college. There's almost no chance you will know anyone who plays professional sports. Your child has a better chance of being a brain surgeon than playing baseball for the Cardinals, basketball for the Lakers, or football for the Cowboys. If you weren't a great athlete, the odds are your child being one is slim to none. There's no amount of practice, coaching, or throwing money at the situation that will improve your son or daughter enough if they are not born with a specific, special athletic ability. Also, screaming at the umpire or referee is not going to help. They really aren't there, listen, they really aren't there to keep your child from being successful. The truth is if you are an average athlete, your child will likely be an average athlete. Parents who are 5'8 seldom have children 6'7. If you are slow, guess what? If you are cut from your junior high team, don't plan on your son or daughter participating in the Olympics. This doesn't mean, now watch guys, here it is. This doesn't mean your kids shouldn't participate in sports. It doesn't mean that they have to be great to play. It just means we need to be realistic. The truth is, when your child is 40, no one will care if they hit the ball. No one will care if they scored a basket. No one will care if they played when they were seven. Sit in your lawn chair and enjoy it. That's it. That's all there is. There's no college scholarship or huge contract coming your way. Just ice cream after the game. And that's enough. Now, let me say this. Let me say this. There is nobody in this building that goes any crazier at a game than I do when my kids are playing. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to holler at the referee. Is your name Ray Charles, sir? Because you missed a call. Are you? You know, I got all that. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go crazy, but you know what? I need to be realistic. Listen, I got more. <clears throat> Look, parents, parents who are too enthusiastic sometimes create problems, said Dr. David Norville, a child psychiatrist with the International Society for Sports Psychiatry. About 20 years ago, doctors started noticing a worrying trend. More and more parents obsessing over their kids' athletic careers. They would spend all the family's money, said Norville. They would spend all the family's time. They would ignore all the other children. They would ignore school just to push their children to be successful. Doctors developed a name for their extreme behavior, achievement by proxy distortion. This idea is that if kids are successful, the parents feel successful. The parents may have good intentions, says uh, Norval, but watch this, guys. But the behavior can be extremely harmful to children. It really leads to a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of family discord, and traumatic childhood experience. This is not coming from a preacher. This is coming from a child psychologist. Are y'all with me? We need to understand something. I, I sat with an educator this week, a highly influential and, 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 and influencing educator who deals with children on a regular basis all the time, all the time. This person told me they are seeing disorders like they've never had before, social functions that they don't have. Listen, uh, social uh, anxiety disorders where they can't even come to school. Because there's so much pressure being put on these kids. Not just in sports, but in the scholastics and academics. 
They're expecting kids to be something they're not. Listen, let me, let me give you a newsflash. Everybody, I hope you get this. I hope you get this, everybody. Everybody is not a straight-A student. They're not. No matter how much you want them to be, no matter how much you try to get them to be, they're just not. There's some C, C student people. And guess what? That's fine. If they do the best they can, and that's what they can do, rock on. I don't believe that. I don't think that. I don't like the way you're talking. All right. That's fine. These are, these are educational dropouts. And by the way, just as a commercial, I'm not telling anybody to drop out. I'm just telling you what can happen by somebody who's not a straight-A student. Sir Richard Branson, he owns over 360 companies. Got more money than anybody in this building. Say amen. Bill Gates left college at the age of 20, dropped out. John Mackey, now I ain't, I ain't going to tell you who did, Microsoft, everybody. John Mackey, sometimes called the Bill Gates of Organic Food, he dropped out. Chairman and CEO of Whole Market Foods, $3.8 billion Fortune 500 company. Uh, some of these people you're not going to know. How about Thomas Edison? How about George Washington? James Clark? Jack Cook? Simon Cowell? How many of y'all have ever heard of the American Idol? He's a jerk, but hey, he's, not, he's a dumb jerk, amen? But he's a rich dumb jerk, amen? 75 million last year, amen? How many of y'all have ever heard of Henry Ford? Sokiro Honda? Yeah, Honda. Honda Accord? Y'all with me? Uh-huh, drop out. Ray Kroc, how many of y'all enjoy Big Mac? Yeah, drop out. David Murdoch, Dole Food Company. John D. Rockefeller, Standard Oil. Vidal Sassoon, hairdresser. I don't know if I said that right, but that's close. Amen. All right. Uh, Dave Thomas, Wendy's owner. Wendy, Frosty, anybody? Lucille Ball, Drew Barrymore, Pierce Brosnan, Jim Curry, Tom uh, Carey, excuse me, Jim Carey, Tom Cruise, Robert De Niro, Sean Connery, say amen. All dropouts. Dropouts. Ronald Reagan, Peter Jennings. They said Peter Jennings, a great broadcaster, was, was a very poor student. And they say, Preacher, why are you saying all this? Here's what I'm trying to say. Well, I'm, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to say what this educator said. <clears throat> and I don't know if I'm supposed to tell who this person is, but anyway, uh, this is a person who's with kids 24-7 almost, all the time, and it's been that way for years and years and years and years. I asked this person, I said, if you could get all the parents of this school all the parents of all the kids in the school in one room, and you had something you could tell them, what's one thing that you would tell them? If you could gather them all up, if you could gather them all up, put them in here, what's one thing you'd tell them? And this is, I am quoting. Y'all with me? I am quoting. This is this person's exact words. Now, I, I need a camera on me. Has I got a camera on me? I mean, zoom in, zoom in, zoom in. Can you zoom? Anybody can zoom? Can you do that? Get me close. I want everybody to see what I'm saying. Are y'all with me? Yes, that's good enough right there. Now, is everybody listening? This is what this person said to all the parents. If I could tell anything I wanted to the parents, this is what this person said. Chill out! Chill out! If they don't hit a home run every that bat, it's okay! If they don't make an A on every test, it's okay. Don't cuss out the teacher. Don't tell everybody in the administration they're, they're crazy and they don't know how to do their job because little Johnny didn't make an A on his history report. Why don't you go to the teacher and work together? It's okay. We're wondering why these kids are doing the stuff they're doing. And some of it's because we're putting unrealistic expectations on them that they cannot live up to. And they love you too much to disappoint you, and they won't tell you, so we end up seeing tragedies happen, and you have no idea. Unrealistic expectations on our children. How about this? Unrealistic expectations with our spouses. Our spouses. We go into marriage... Ladies go into marriage thinking he's going to change, and, and men go into marriage thinking she'll never change. <coughs> and they're both wrong. Amen. Yeah, I said it. 
yeah, I'm going to change him. When we get together, he's going, yeah, yeah. No, you ain't. You ain't changing. Listen, we expect our spouses to instinctively know how we're feeling. We're expecting love to be a natural reaction rather than the fruit of the Spirit that must be chosen and cultivated. Listen, we're expecting them to be as romantic as we are, or vice versa. Expecting them to be like our parents. Men, she ain't your mama. And ladies, he ain't your daddy. That goes both ways. Well, I tell you what, my dad would take care of this, and he'd take care of that, and he, my husband ain't nothing like him. You just thank God. Well, she can't cook like my mama. My mama used to wash everything and do all this. and it. Number four. <laughs> Unrealistic expectations. Expecting them to be like the parents. Watch this. Thinking they're going to think like me. How many of y'all know that's unrealistic? <laughs> Thinking they're going to be like me. I, this is coming from a psychologist. We all come into marriages with high expectations about ourselves, about our partner, and about what marriage will be. Quite often, these expectations are not articulated. We don't say it, but we have them. Most times, we're not even aware that we have them. Frequently, we assume our partner's expectations are the same as ours. Expectations are based on fantasy about how life or our partner is supposed to be. And like it or not, fantasy and reality rarely match up. Rarely. Listen, unrealistic expectations. Not just with our children, but with our spouses. But how about this? This is huge. This is huge. Please get me on this. Sometimes we have unrealistic expectations with ourselves. With ourselves. Say, preacher, what are you talking about? Sometimes we think everybody's supposed to like us. Now, that's, that's cool to think, but it's unrealistic. I don't care who you are. Everybody's not going to like you. And if you spend your whole life trying to get everybody to like you, you're going to wear yourself out, and nobody's going to like you. Y'all with me? The world, the world, here's an unrealistic expectation. The world should be fair. The world should be fair. How many of y'all figured out by now that's, not, that's just not true? Perfectionism. Setting standards that are unrealistic or unattainable. Feeling that you are never good enough. How about this? Not allowing yourself to make mistakes. Expecting to get it right the first time. Or expecting to be good at everything you do. That's just not realistic. Being overly critical of yourself. Focusing too much on your imperfections and mistakes. Being hard on yourself. Putting yourself down. Or overlooking your positives. Setting, oh, here's big, here's big. Y'all paying attention? Say amen. Setting goals according to other people's expectations for you. How many of y'all have come to realize this in life that everybody's got a good plan for your life? <laughs> Trying to live up to everybody else's expectations. Setting goals just because it's what's expected without taking into account your own abilities, interests, or needs. Here's a big one, and I see all the time, people-pleasing. People-pleasing. Putting other people's needs before your own or trying to be everything to everyone, expecting to be liked by everyone or trying to please particular people. Here's a bad one. Excessive comparison to other people. Always comparing your relationship to somebody else's relationship, your looks to someone else's looks, your, your, what you have compared to what someone else has. That will drive you crazy. Focusing too much on what others are doing and basing your worth on what someone else has. This is a big one. Taking on too much. Taking on too much. Wanting to do everything and needing to be constantly busy. Not allowing time for rest, relaxation, and leisure. This carries a serious risk of burnout. A constant need for achievement. 
a constant need for achievement, being dependent on achievement for a sense of worth. How about this? Expecting to be at 100% all the time. All the time. How many of y'all know, just by reading these, that all of these are ridiculous? But we still do them. One of the hardest words in the English language to learn. But once you learn it, it is, it is, it is so refreshing. And it, it is so ministering. And it's the word, no. Can you? No. Would you think it? No. Say it with me. No. Say it with me. No. No, I can't. You, would, you know, see, here's what happens. People come to us, and we know what we got going on. We know the schedule we've got. we got the stuff we've got to get done. But somebody comes to us and says, will you do this, or will you help, or will you be, support this? And we want to be, we want to be the five-second hero. And we end up being the zero. Because in the immediate, when they ask, we say, yes, I can do that. Because we don't want to disappoint anybody. I'm the world's worst. Tammy will tell me, why did you say you could do that? You got seven things already at that same time. I said, I don't know. I didn't want, I didn't want him to be mad. I did, I'm, I'm the preacher. I'm supposed to be at, you know. And she says, but you're human. And sometimes we have unrealistic expectations for ourselves. Not our children, not our spouse, just ourselves. We're so critical of ourselves. And sometimes we can't even love ourselves. We don't even like ourselves, much less love ourselves. Because we can't see ourselves as Jesus sees us. We see, all right, all right here's the, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. I, I see some of you drifting, I see some of you drifting, look at me. We see ourselves like we think other people see us. And even though it's subconscious, we're still trying to please someone else. Are y'all with me? The last one, the last recipient of unrealistic expectations is the Lord. Not our spouses, not our children, not ourselves, but the Lord. You see, life will turn away that we didn't expect it, and we'll get mad at God. We'll get angry at God because we expected God to do something. Mary and Martha expected Jesus to show up on time. Mary and Martha expected Jesus to say the word. They did not expect a funeral. They did not expect to bury their brother. They did not expect Jesus to spend two more days and delay his coming and come late. If you'd have been here, if you'd have been here, my brother had not died. If you'd have only been here, unmet expectations. Listen, write this down. I want you to see the results. <clears throat> or excuse me, excuse me, I, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Look at here. What is the reasoning? <clears throat> what is the reasoning behind unrealistic expectations? Where do these come from? Three things right here. First, they come from our own desires. Our own desires from things we want or like to have. It's what I want. Many times, unrealistic expectations are kind of selfish. It's human nature. I want what I want. Human nature, we never grow out of the toddler stage, right? Doesn't the toddler say, it doesn't matter who has the toy, mine! Right? Come on. Get with me. Don't, 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 don't check out on me, this guys. I'm telling you, we're going to learn something that's going to help us today. A lot of these expectations come from selfishness. Even with our kids. Even with our kids. Sometimes we want them to be what we wasn't growing up. We want them to be the athlete that we weren't. Or, on the opposite side, we want them to be the athlete that we were because if they're successful, it makes us look good. And it's not about the kid at all. Amen. Well, how do you know that? Because they're just having fun. I'll tell you something that happened to me when I was, when I was playing baseball. Me and my cousin, Randy, the one who lives up in Tennessee, uh, uh, we were... We were playing it was in the rec league and it was I think we was in high school already or whatever but but uh uh he was he happened to be pitching the game we were playing against each other he was on a different team than I was in the rec league and uh how many y'all know in between innings 
in between innings, the pitcher needs to warm up, throw a few pitches to warm up to get ready for the inning. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Well, the catcher was the last batter. The catcher for their team was the last batter. Uh, uh, and so he was getting all of his equipment on. And I just happened to look out from the dugout, and Randy was standing on the mound waiting, and there was nobody there to warm him up. So I put on the helmet and went out there myself from the other team. I was warming him up, man. We was having a big time. I got in trouble. That's my cousin. We was having fun, man. I was just trying to help him. You know what? People don't get it's a game. And when we get upset because our kids don't want to do the extra effort, well, they're just lazy. No, they're not. They don't want it like you want it. You might want to recheck this thing. It may not be about them. It may be about you. If that's the case, you go to Red League and join a softball team and leave them alone. It never ceases to amaze me. I love watching, going and watching these little kids play. And, and he's out in left field throwing his glove up in the air. Whee! Or looking at bugs on the ground. And that's not the fun part. That's great. But the fun part is watching the parents in the bleachers losing their minds. Cut your glove on, man. Act like you're, you know, thinking that they're Derek Jeter out there or something. I better move right along, ain't I? I better just move right. Man, sports has become idolatry. And we think we're trying to make it all about the kids, but it's not about the kids. It's about what we want. Unrealistic expectations come from our own desires. Secondly, write this down. Not only from our own desires. Watch this. Ooh. They come from what we think we deserve. What we think we deserve. How many times do we get angry at God because something happens in our life and we think we don't deserve this? Or I deserve better. I deserve better in this area or that area. Guys, let me give you a newsflash. If we got what we deserve, we'd all be in hell today. Y'all with me? See. See, not only our own desires, but what we think we deserve. See. Sometimes they come from what we are used to. What we are used to. We all grow up differently, but we all grow up a certain way. That way becomes familiar and normal. We come to expect that. We come to expect It's just what we're used to. Here's a great illustration. When me and Tammy first got married, <clears throat> just close your eyes and your ears and everything, Tammy, over there. Just do like this right here for a minute. When we first got married, uh, you know, people, they bought the, 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 the towels and the hand towels. and I mean, we had everything. You know, when you're poor, you have a towel and, and, and you have a wash rag. You don't have a face rag. Are y'all with me? That's that middle one. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's that middle, that middle wash rag. It's not a towel, but it's not a wash rag. It's the one that's about halfway in between. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, I grew up poor. We didn't have that one. We had the wash rag. Amen? We had wash rag, towel, wash rag, towel. Well, when we got married, they gave us all this stuff, man. And we, so we had the hand towel, and we had all this kind of stuff. And, and, and so when I'd go in there and, 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 and brush my teeth and do all my stuff and everything, I'd just grab the wash rag, dry off my hand and everything, and, and she says, that's not what that's for. You're supposed to use this one. And I'm thinking, why use that one? It's just wasting material. I don't need that much material. I never used one of them before. I don't need one of them. I was not used to it. So there was conflict in the marriage. <coughs> and what was that for? What she was used to compared to what I was used to. So we had unrealistic expectations. She was unrealistically thinking I was going to use that towel. I still don't use that towel. <laughs> Amen, baby. I love you. You're awesome. Does this make sense? Sometimes we need to stop and think that this, this expectation I have, it may not be because it's realistic or it should be that way. It may just be because what we're used to. Amen? 
Number three, we're just having fun today. I'm telling you, just, I just see faces aglow everywhere. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> number one, <clears throat> number one, the recipient of unrealistic expectations. The reasoning for unrealistic expectations. Here's, here's the sad part. Here's the results. Here's the results of unrealistic expectations. I have been doing a lot of counseling lately. Counseling that'll break your heart. I'm telling you, when you hear some of the stuff that we're having to deal with, and, and not just that, but talking to the teachers and, and, and asking their advice and their help and what they're seeing in the school system. Here's what unrealistic expectations does. First, if you're writing this down, it creates undue pressure to perform. It creates undue pressure to perform in all of these areas. It creates an undue pressure to perform. The, the, the kids are trying to live up to what they think their parents are wanting now, I don't know if you get this or not, but you need to get this. If, if your kid is, if you're not satisfied with your kid just being your kid, you need counseling. My kid don't have to hit a home run for me to love my kid. My kid doesn't have to get straight A's or, 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 or listen, get the, the greatest college scholarship. They don't have to do all of these things. Sometimes the pressure that I put on them has made them think that, and I am so sorry for that, and I wish to God I'd never done that, but they don't have to be. They can just be themselves, be what they are. I love them just like they are. Listen, Jesus loves you just like you are. But when we have unrealistic expectations in all of these areas, our spouses included, you know, it creates pressure in them. So many times Tammy felt like she had to be this or that because of the, the unreasonable and unrealistic expectations I had. And I was creating that. And we create that in our kids. We create that in our spouses, in ourselves. We try to live up to our own expectations, and it don't work. But see, when that pressure to perform is there, then the second thing happens. And this is what I've seen this week in some of the counseling this week. There is an untrue perception an untrue perception. In other words, the kid thinks the parents are mad at him because the kid is not living up to what he thinks the parent is wanting and the, the kid is sitting there scared to death because he thinks the parent is angry. Now, sometimes it is. Sometimes the parents are ignorant and they're mad at their kid because they didn't score 100 points. They're mad. You, sir, have a problem. And I'll tell you to your face, outside, inside, it doesn't matter. I have Nikki Joe with me at the time, but I'll tell you, amen. <laughs> amen, Nikki Joe, that's right. You have a problem. I have, I have talked to coaches who have tried to get in the kids and, and help them understand, and the kid goes out and does the exact opposite of what the coaches tell them because the parent told them, you have to do such and such. And the parent will chew them out and get angry at them and holler at them after the game because they didn't live up to their expectations. Sir, you're the one with the problem. But let's say that's not the case. Say that's not you. But here we are with these unrealistic expectations and the pressure we're putting on our kid. We don't even realize we're doing it. And the kid the whole time thinks they're mad. we're mad at them. And parents, we can do this and not even realize it. But because of that, it creates an untrue perception the way they see things. Say, so what do we need to do about that? Communicate. Communicate. Tell the kid, listen, you don't have to play a sport if you don't want to. You could take up basket weaving for all I care. Oh, y'all like that. Y'all ain't going to go there, huh? See, it got quiet right then, didn't it? Well, I want, see, is this about them or is this about you? If your kid wanted to quit all that stuff and just, are you okay with it? Can you communicate to your kid that they are special, that they are loved, they are cared for, no matter what they are, no matter who they are, no matter how many grades they get, no matter home runs or no sports or anything, hey, they good just like they are. I love you. If you can't do that, you need counseling. Because it creates an untrue perception. Because I know you love your kids, but they need to know it. And how many of y'all know perception is their reality? Okay. I'm probably going to need a job after this service. 
What are the results of unrealistic expectations? Undue pressure to perform. An untrue perception. But this is the sad part. Unbearable pain. Unbearable pain. We are seeing kids take their lives. Committing suicide. People taking their lives because they cannot bear the pain of the perception that they have of their reality. And in their minds, it's easier to check out than to bear the brunt of the pressure that they have. Now, now we've said some humorous stuff through this thing because and you have to laugh to keep from crying. But guess what, guys? Everything I've said today is reality. And whether we want to admit it or not, whether we want to, to face it or not, this is reality. And the hardest thing in the world to face is the fact that some of the stuff that's happening is because of our own behavior. So we need to stop and sit back and examine ourselves, examine the situation, examine our relationships. And say, what can we do about this? In this story... In this story, you find Mary and Martha disappointed and discouraged. God did not do what we thought God would do. We find the same thing with Elijah. Elijah thought God was going to transform everything, that God was going to do this and God was going to do that. And when God didn't, he ran for his life and got completely discouraged, even to the point of being suicidal. Jonah Listen, God didn't do what, what Jonah thought he would do. How about Peter? How many of y'all remember Peter? You know, you know the disciple, the one who said, who, who took his sword out. Everybody says that, oh, he denied the Lord. He denied the Lord. He took out his sword to defend the Lord. He was the only one that risked his life for the Savior in the garden. And guess what he got for it? A chewing. Jesus reached down and picked the ear up and put it back on the servant's head and told Peter, he either lives by the sword or die by the sword. Put that up. And, and Peter was the only one to defend the Lord. He was the only one to risk his life. And he, didn't, he said, what? what? I thought you was going to be the king. I thought, I thought we was going to rule and reign with you. You said we'd be sitting on thrones with you. You're supposed to get the Roman yoke off of our back and you're surrendering? Here Jesus is going as a lamb to the slaughter. And Peter says, I don't know the man. Peter is discouraged. Peter went out and wept bitterly. He's so disenchanted with life and everything that's going on because he left for three years. He left everything to follow this man. And God didn't do what he thought he was going to do. And because of unrealistic, unmet expectations, he's, he's upset and he's broken. Now, I promise you this, there's probably not a soul in this whole building. There's probably not one single person in this whole building who somewhere down the line, somewhere in life, you haven't been disappointed because of what you thought God would do or not do. Well, let me give you, let me give you just four things real quick. I've got to give them quick because we're out of time. When it comes to life's disappointments, when God does what you think he's not going to do, or when God doesn't do what you think He should do. Here's some things you need to remember. Here's some things you need to remember. Number one, or A. I want you to look here. Look in, 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 in verse, number, verse number five. <clears throat> verse number five. Now, John says, before I tell you what he did, as far as waiting and, and delaying, you need to know something. Verse five. Everybody read it with me. Verse five. Now Jesus, everybody read it, help me now. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and... Here's what you need to remember. When life disappoints you, when you think God has not treated you fairly, when you think that, that, that because of what's happened in life, here's what you've got to know. Number one, or A, or however you're writing this down, God loves you. Now Jesus loved Mary... Martha and Lazarus. Now sometimes when we look at someone who's delaying, when we look at someone who doesn't show up on time, 
when we look at someone who doesn't speak the word and heals the sickness so his friend can live and so his two sisters are not stressed out and worried about this death, it doesn't seem like God loves him. But the scriptures say specifically on purpose. Now listen, before I tell you anything that happened, Jesus loved him. I don't care how your life has turned out, God loves you. I don't care what's taken place. I don't care what tragedies have happened. I don't care what you've experienced in your life. I don't care what's going on in your life, whether it's poor choices or, or somebody else's behavior with you. God loves you. He loves you. Second thing, second thing, write this down. There is always, say that with me, there is always a bigger picture. Look what it says in verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. In other words, what he's saying, he's not saying, he's not saying that he's not going to die. He's not saying he's not going to die. Because, by the way, if you study the timeline out, he died the day he came. Lazarus died the day the messenger got there. But Jesus says, this is not unto death. How is it not unto death? He died. What Jesus is saying, this is not the end. This is not the ultimate purpose. This sickness, the purpose of this sickness was not to kill Lazarus. It, oh, come on. Are you getting it? The tragedy you went through. It was not so you could be harmed. It's not so you could be hurt. It's not so you could be broken. Those things took place in the situation. But God always has a bigger picture. There's something here bigger than the sickness. There's something here bigger than the funeral. There's something here bigger than the mourning. God wanted them to see something they'd have never seen without the sickness. Are y'all with me? And that's number four. But let me give you number three. Look, look, God loves you. There is a bigger picture. You can't see it right now. When, 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 when Lazarus took his last breath and it broke Mary and Martha's heart, they could not see the bigger picture. They could not see that the day after, the day after. Jesus still hasn't showed up. And they couldn't see the bigger picture. But then I want you to see this. When Jesus does show up, when Jesus does show up, he gets to them and they're broken and they're mourning and they're weeping in the shortest verse in the Bible. Somebody tell me. Say it again. You know why he wept? They said, oh, how he loved him. He's weeping because he's lost his friend. No. That's not why he's weeping. He's just going to go call his name. That's not why he's weeping. You say, preacher, why is he weeping? Because they're weeping. And Jesus is saying, I feel your pain. Preacher, what's the point? Jesus loves you. There's a bigger picture. Jesus cares about your feelings. He cares about your pain. He is a priest that can be touched with a feeling of our infirmities. Are you with me? Say amen. Amen. Now, here's the deal. Some of y'all have done checked out on me, but I'm going to come right on through with this thing because this is the best point of the whole deal. Listen, what do we need to remember when we're disappointed? What do we need to remember when life turns away that we never expected? What do we need to remember when we're hurting and we're broken and we don't understand what's going on? That Jesus, He loves you. There is a bigger picture. Jesus cares. He understands. He feels your pain. And number four, and this is it. This is the deal. Listen here. The end result, the final result of your situation is always better than your expectation. When God is through, when God is done, 
I know you're disappointed. I know you're discouraged because you had an expectation. What was their expectation? That Jesus would march into town and Jesus would either touch him or Jesus would say the word and he would get better and the fever would break and the flu would go away and the sickness would be done. That's what they expected. They expected Jesus to do like he had always done with everybody else. That was their expectation, that they would see a healing. But when when Jesus was done, they didn't see a healing. They saw a resurrection. They didn't see somebody quit having a fever. They seen somebody who was already dead and decomposing come out of the ground better than they was before. I need a witness. Whatever your expectation is, I promise you this. If you will put your faith, if you will put your trust, if you will believe that Jesus has a plan and there is a bigger picture and what he's got waiting on you is better than what you ever expected, honey, it'll change your life. Boy, I don't have time. But I remember tears dripping off my face because I was sitting in a church that I thought I'd spend the rest of my life with. I'd already seen out in the cornfield behind the church a brand new building. And it didn't pan out. And here I am wondering what in the world. People were getting saved. Things were happening. I thought this was going to be where I'd spend the rest of my life. Broken we leave. Wondering what in the world is God doing. And he keeps, hmm. And I sit around and look, wow. So this is what God was doing. You see, the end result was much better than my expectation. Give him praise and glory. Let's all stand. Every head bowed. Every head bowed and every